You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Brandon Turner, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. I used to have a ritual. Every time I faced a big task in life, which for me as a kid was usually some academic test or another... When the cards were on the table, do or die, I would put all the books down and instead spend my last moments recalling all my accomplishments. The idea was that regardless of the day's outcome, I had already achieved quite a bit. As my mom would say, you are already enough. Today won't change that. I spend a lot of time thinking about enough or enoughness. I think this is common for those of us who have based a good deal of our self-worth on achievements or goals. But the problem is that for us, enough seems to be just a little more than we have, than we are. Today, we're going to talk to Brandon Turner, not about how he built the real estate empire, nor the huge impact he left on the Bigger Pockets podcast and platform. But instead, we will contemplate beginnings and endings, scarcity and abundance, enough and too much. Brandon Turner is a real estate investor, podcaster, author, entrepreneur, and speaker. As the previous host of the Bigger Pockets podcast with over 100 million downloads, Brandon is widely recognized as one of the foremost experts on real estate investing. He is the best-selling author of several books, including the book on rental property investing. Brandon is also the founder and managing member of Open Door Capital LLC, a private, well-capitalized real estate investment firm. Brandon Turner, welcome to Earn and Invest. According to your bio, you now have 7,400 units and over $650 million in assets under management. Take me back to the age of 27. You leave your job because you are, quote, financially free. A quick question, then a more difficult one. The quick question is, how many units did you have back when you were 27? Hmm, Dude, first of all, thank you for having me. Second of all, that might have been the single greatest introduction of a podcast I've ever done. I mean, I've done hundreds of podcasts over the last decade, right? That may have taken the cake and then some. So well done on that. Jeez. I feel like a, a slob over here with my podcasting intro. So great job. All right. Let's dig in a little bit. I like to kind of like, I, I love that you went to the 27 mark because that's what like what I call it at the end of like my first phase. Like I can, 
if I were to look at my life, I my my career, there's three phases. And I actually believe as of like three days ago, we can get into this. I'm about to enter the fourth, which is interesting. But I can I can chronicle three phases. And the first one started when I was 21 and ended when I was around 27. So let's go to the easy question was how many units that I have? I have 30 rental units at that point. So I got started at 21, little properties, you know, duplex here, triplex there, single family here. Ended up buying a 24 unit, fixed it up. And at 27, I was retired, like level one financial freedom. And I quit my job, sat on the couch and watched daytime TV for like, I don't know, three or four months. That was the end of phase one. I'm interested in these phases because admittedly, 7,400 units versus 30 units, you were financially free then. Are you more free now? And maybe this will give you a chance to tell us a little bit about those phases. Yeah. Ooh, am I more free now? Uh, Or less. I have more money now, right? I have more money now. I have more impact now, but I work more now. So I, I don't know how we want to look at that. And that's, that's an interesting conversation, but yeah, let me, let me go through the, the real quick. So the first phase is just like me doing it all myself, building my small real estate portfolio. And phase one didn't necessarily, necessarily end, but phase two started. And that's because all of a sudden I was like, well, what do I do with my life now? Here I'm 27. And it wasn't like I was rolling in 30 grand a month in cash flow, right? Like I, I was 27. Like I had a wife, no kids, we lived, our rent was $600 a month. Like it was like your, our, our mortgage, whatever, super cheap stuff. Right. So I, I was making three to $4,000 a month in passive income and by passive, it's like passive ish, right. I'm managing my own rentals, something breaks, I'd go fix it. But just really like a lot of, a lot of free time. So I started internet marketing. Actually, do you remember those, like the downloading, like the, what was it? Like LimeWire or any of those, like you'll download torrents and all that back in the day. So I remember downloading like a bunch, like uh, probably a bunch of viruses, but also a bunch of ebooks. <laughs> I'm like making money because I was like, well, I'm making good money, but now I have no job. I can't get mortgages, you know, real estate. I was kind of just tired of dealing with more and more tenants. I didn't want to just add on more. So started researching internet marketing and I fell in love with it. Like the idea of like making money on the internet. I was like obsessed with it. I mean, I was waking up at four in the morning just because I was so excited to go and spend 18 hours researching like internet marketing and internet business and writing blogs and podcasts and YouTube and that whole world just fascinated me. So I got into that, started a blog. It was called Real Estate in Your 20s. Uh, very soon jumped ship over to Bigger Pockets to help Josh Dorkin, who had started that one as a small site at the time. But I jumped over there to help him build his with him. And that's when we started the Bigger Pockets podcast. So phase two was really about becoming an entrepreneur, but more like an intrapreneur. So an intrapreneur of an internet marketing business that revolved around real estate. So, you know, I was writing and and reading and and podcasting and all that for the next nine years. So really from 27-ish up until about 36 or 35, I was just doing all that. So phase two was all about that. And I didn't grow my real estate portfolio very much during that time. It was like, I add a couple of units a year. I'd flip a couple of houses if I was bored or they happened to fall across my plate, but I didn't do a ton of growth during that time up until where phase three started. Phase three was really, I was on stage actually. There's a conference, a real estate conference called the best ever conference. It was in Denver. I'm on stage there because I have a big mouth and can sell tickets. So they put me on stage and I'm looking out at the audience and I got my 30, 35 units, whatever it was at the time. And I realized that I was the least qualified person in that room to be giving giving advice on real estate. Because these people were like high level investors, like big multifamily owners and syndicators and private equity. And here I am with my 35 units, like, you know, yeah, look at me. And I just felt like I mean, I, w- I I did not deserve to be there. And I wanted to deserve to be there. I wanted to be on stage because 
I had been there and done that. And it was just a real like awakening moment to me that I want something bigger. At the same time, maybe a week or two earlier, I had met with a team down in Nashville who was recording uh, country and Christian music. And uh, just, I just became friends with the owner. So I went down there and I saw how his team operated. It was like amazing people doing amazing work and like loving each other and loving other people and hanging out after work. And it was just like inspirational. And I said, I want that. So phase three of my life, I said, I'm going to build a real estate portfolio, a big one, like commercial real estate. Tell me what's driven you through these phases. I mean, a lot of us are driven by money, right? But once you call yeah. yourself financially free, I mean, the idea is that I'm kind of free from this idea that I need to make more money. What made you want to progressively go through these stages? Yeah, man. Yeah. Each one, each one, you know, I, it was still money. I'm not going to say it wasn't money. The first few, right? The first one was like, I quit my job that I was working at some bank as like a teller basically or a banker. Um, and I, 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 I hated my job. So the first one was like, just get out of my job, you know, get, get to the point of get out of my job. So it was very much a, and I haven't really put a lot of thought into this in the past, but now I think about it, it was very reactive, right? And very negative driven, right? So get out of a something, escape something. So phase one was all about escape something. Not that that's bad. It's just interesting looking back on that. It was very much a reaction to something I did not like. So then that was phase one. Phase two was passion driven. Obviously, I wanted more money. And that's why I was getting into the internet marketing world. But I wanted more cash. But it was also like very much like I was leaning into something that I was obsessed about. I mean, obsessed. And I still, to this day, absolutely love the internet marketing stuff. I just love sales and marketing and growing a business and all that. So that one was, was passion-driven. Third, I would say is maybe we call it significance-driven. All right? Signif like I wanted to make an impact and build a team and lead. And I wanted to know if I could do it, if I had what it takes. Right? Like it wasn't enough for me to have... like theoretically, it all makes sense, right? Theoretically, I can teach people all day long how to build a big real estate business, but I didn't have the actual knowledge. It's like a teacher at a school, right? You can teach medicine for the for your whole career, but can you actually prescribe the right medicine or cut someone open or help them get over their sickness, right? It's a, it's a different thing from knowledge to action. So that third phase was very much, do I have what it takes? Can I Can I build something amazing? And that brings me to today. And I did it. I mean, now I can look back and be like, I've got one of the bigger real estate syndication companies in the world. And I don't work a lot of hours at it, honestly. Like it, I built it from the outside looking in versus from the inside up, which is what most people do. They're inside of it. And then they slowly build up and they hire below them and they get a team. I build it from the outside. I'm like, okay, that's what I want it to look like. And so I built it over the past three years. How intimately is making money tied to this purposeful work? Like if you couldn't make more money doing it, but you have enough money to live and survive and be comfortable. Do you think it would feel as good? Would it feel as good if you weren't making money doing it? Mm. That's an interesting question. Yeah. You know, money is very much to me a scorecard or has been. And this mm. is where like the phase four, and we can talk about that in a minute is coming in. And I don't, this is brand new to me. Like it, we can talk about the changes that happened to me in the last few days, but that's so fascinating. This conversation is happening now. So Phase three was very much like in, I, I don't want to say ego driven, but maybe there was some ego in there. Like I wanted to see how big I could get this thing. And I wanted to see how important I can be and how much money I can make because it's a scorecard, right? Like I don't need more money. I could retire right now and I'd have more money than I know what to do with. I wrote some books like this one, right? The book on rental property investing. This is sold like a million and a half copies and it sells hundreds of thousands every single year. That pays me enough to pay my bills. I don't need more. 
there's definitely this this cr- income creep, right? I used to stay in my car when I would travel. I'd just sleep in my car. And then I started staying in Super 8 motels. And then I started going into Hilton's. And now I'm at Marriott's. And the Four Seasons pretty nice, right? Like, So there is this income creep in life that isn't always bad, but it's something to be very mindful of. Because you asked that question earlier, which is what was so fascinating. You said, are you more free right now? Or, or right? more happy, right? I mean, or more happy. Because it, yeah, it's, and- it's interesting. Admittedly, yeah you found at 27 that you had enough money. There's no question about it. And you clearly love learning, right? You're reading books all the time. Books have propelled you. You read tons of books, right? Tons. And you love a challenge. But what's interesting in your story, and I've heard this through some of your interviews, is money has become intimately tied to some of this. And the real question is, is the money making you happy? Which I think gets Mm -hmm. you to maybe phase four. Like, yeah. It's, I know that for me too, because I'm in the same boat, right? I'm very achievement oriented. I love the idea of making more money. I found that the reality of making more money hasn't made me as happy as I thought it would. Yeah. That is a thousand percent true. I mean, if I wanted to make more money, I would have stayed at bigger pockets. Huh. Like I own part of that company. I still own part of the company, but I would help them grow. That's probably my, like, that's a pretty good way to get to $100 million net worth is by, you know, staying there. And I love them still to this day. I want to help them. I, I encourage them. I still participate. I'm going to their conference. If money was the only goal there, I would have stayed there. But I wasn't happy there because I wasn't I wasn't living. Like I wasn't doing what I like to do best. I really, really like being a leader. I didn't know I would. I mean, I told my performance coach, I've had the same coach for like six years now. His name's Jason Drees. I had it for like six years and I love the guy. And I told him many times over the years, I do not want to be a leader, a manager. I'm not good at that stuff. I don't tell people what to do. I'm not good at running companies. I don't want to do any of that stuff. Like just put me in front of a camera and I can talk. But how much that's changed in the past couple of years as I've seen the difference between management and leadership. And I did not know there was a difference. So now when my team comes to me and they've got a problem and we had a, we got six huge apartments under contract in like a two week period, like three months ago. And we were like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. We had a dry spell. And now we got all these deals. And then the reality set in that we have to raise a hundred million dollars in six weeks. Mm-hmm. Like, shoot, that's a <laughs> lot of money to raise. And my team's like, I don't know how we're going to do this. I got to tell you the last month and a half, we're 75, almost $80 million into that hundred million. We had three separate phases mm-hmm. in the raise. And we launched a new one like this week. We got a 30 million still to go. We're going to get it just fine. But the last six weeks of raising this money and being in the trenches has been some of the most fun, exciting times I've had in a long time because I like we're in like we're in a war right now. And it's fun to like get down there and get dirty and and, and get in the trenches and fight. And so, yeah, the, the happiness, the reason like when I sat on that couch when I was 27, sat on the couch for three, four months and just watched, uh, you know, law and order every day. Like I was miserable. It wasn't fun at all. Even though I had the goal of this, this golden calf of, of financial freedom, but it wasn't enough. When I hit, when I was 30 is when I crossed the million dollar mark, nothing changed. I just took a drink of my coffee and continued on. Like there was no celebration. Like I thought there might be. Yeah. So, but when I'm in the trenches and we're, we're doing something hard and significant and I'm leading people and watching their lives improve, man, that's, that's powerful. And then I was at this mountaintop retreat. It was in Colorado at a hotel called the Broadmoor last week. And I got invited and it's like a, it's like a Christian entrepreneur mastermind of like 55 people. It's called the Wellspring just started. And I get invited. don't really know what to expect there. And it's like, 
it's on top of a mountain. Like you could not get higher on this mountain. It's at the very top and it's the sketchiest little like dirt road to get up there. And I thought I was going to die every day going up to the top, but it's up at the top of this mountain. And on the last day it was a great group of people, really powerful, like conversations, you know, great mastermind stuff. But the last day, Tim Tebow, the like football player, mm-hmm. right? Heisman trophy guy or whatever. Like I, I don't follow football much, but I know this guy, right? He shows up and he gave a speech. One of the best speeches of my entire life. And he lit at one point in the speech, he lists out, and I'm all I always choke up when I even like just think about this, but he lives out all these accomplishments, like winning this thing and MVP this and being all this stuff and having all this accolades. And he said, you know what, though, nothing feels as good as when we rescue a girl from sex trafficking. He's like, nothing in your life will feel as good as what I mean, I just get shivers saying it right. Nothing will feel as good as knowing that you just saved that little boy's life because you donated money to something. Like that is the ultimate feeling of happiness and success is knowing you, you impacted somebody else's life. And he made this great point. He, I mean, he, he, the speech was phenomenal, man. If you get that guy in this podcast, you know, <laughs> he's the best speaker I ever heard, but he said something. He said, I don't want to enter heaven. Well-rested. I don't want to enter heaven. Well-rested. In other words, like, and he's like, he's like, I'm sprinting. I want to be exhausted when I die because I did everything I could to make an impact on this world. And that's where like, all of a sudden I was just like, like, what am I doing? I I don't want to stop real estate. I love it. Like I said, I have the last six weeks have been amazing, but there's something even better than just the significance of making a business grow and, and seeing myself thrive. And that is, could I build something that helps millions of people survive or escape the uh, you know human trafficking or escape disease or homelessness and i i really think that there's something magical there and i mean i come from a christian background i know this stuff right like it's better to give than receive and you want to you know helping people is, is so important but to see it in real life in a person it was just game changing i love this idea of you don't want to go to heaven well rested i want to explore that a little with you yeah Let's look at it through the lens of real estate. I was going to ask you, do you yeah. love real estate or is it something you did for money? Clearly, you love real estate. I do. I do like it. Yeah. Quite a Let bit. me give you a hypothetical here. A real estate deal you're working on goes wrong and the judge decides not to levy any monetary damages, but you are no longer allowed to invest or manage real estate. Mm. What would your life look like? Yeah, probably not a whole lot different. I mean, I would find like, you know, my joy in business is not my joy in business is in two things, winning and watching my team win. That's it. It it it's it, it does not matter what the medium is that we're selling or that we're doing. Like it doesn't really matter. Now, real estate happens to be my favorite thing to to grow because it's so scalable, right? It takes the same work to buy a $2 million property as a $90 million property. So if I can raise enough to buy a $90 million property, I'm going to buy the $90 million property. It's just, a, it's a fun asset class. And I think the bigger you go, actually, the more freedom you get, which is a fascinating concept we could explore. But like, I do way less work on real estate today than I ever did when I was buying duplexes. Like, cause now I get people and teams that support everything. But no, I would just like, I, I literally, I think I could be just as happy from a business standpoint, selling carpet and owning a carpet installation business. It doesn't matter as long as I can win and I, I can help my team win that that's that's the ultimate like business happiness but then this is like last week is really where i was like there's another level of happiness well, that i think i, can I mean it begs the question right winning or watching my team win who are you winning against like who are you beating yeah i i think i'm beating the piece of my mind that wants to sit on the couch and watch law and order 
right? Hmm. It's the it's the piece of me, you know. Ed Milet has this quote he says all the time about like he thinks hell is meeting the person you could have become. Hmm. Uh, like when you get to heaven, hell would be meeting the person you could have become and not being the same person. And so like there's the idea of like my potential. Now I don't know if I completely agree with him, you know, with Ed on that statement, but I get I get the sentiment of like there is a person, there is a, a a person I can become in life. There is an impact I could have. There is a type of leader I could be. And so when I say I'm winning is I am looking in the mirror at that person and it's a reflection. And so I want, if I'm capable, that's, I mean, this is literally like three years ago, why, or three and a half, four years ago now, when I decided to start Open Door Capital, like that was a huge driving piece of it is I knew I was capable of more and I was simply resting on my laurels. I was living on cash flow from book sales, which nothing wrong with that. I love cash flow on book sales, right? It's great. I like getting that money. But let uh, me be the devil's advocate here. Please. Like clearly winning is right, is, is, is the sense that there is this potential out there for the best me I could be and not living up to it. Yeah. Will making another hundred million dollar real estate deal or even a billion dollar real estate deal, will that make a difference? Like tell, yeah, no. walk, walk me through how that gets you to your, your best self. And I'm not, I'm not yeah. saying this in, oh. in any pessimistic way. I'm just help me understand. Yeah, man. No, that's a great question. And, and, and the answer I would say, yeah, it's yes and no. And this is why, you know, people say money doesn't make you happy. And I actually think many times it does make me happier to have more money. I actually do believe that I am happier now than if I was, when I, when I was making 30 grand and my wife was driving to work in her Nissan Altima that the window wipers didn't work. So she had to drive with her head out the window, <laughs> driving to Starbucks at three in the morning. Like I am definitely more happy now than I was back then. And I think a lot of research has shown like there was a level, like I, they usually say it's around a hundred thousand, right? That where you stop getting happier. And I I can see that I live in Hawaii now where I used to live in the rain of Washington state. I'm happier in Hawaii and I can, and I have a really nice house with a pool and I'm happier with that than I was with my old house when I was in Washington. Is it 10 times happier? No, it's 5% happier. Right. And I try not to make my circumstances happier. That said, like, again, I like winning. And another way to look at it is this. Imagine a mountain, you're climbing a mountain, you're on a hike and you're climbing up this mountain and you see the summit up ahead and you see, you see the top right ahead and you're like, oh, it's just a hundred feet up there. I'm going to climb that because it's going to feel so good when I get to the top of the mountain and you climb up that mountain and you get up to the top and then you realize it's a false summit. It's not, yeah, it's not really the top. It, I'm still happier at that point than I was at the point 50 feet below or a hundred feet below or a mile below. I'm still happier to be higher. I still get a little bit better view. It's still like, it's fun. It was a challenge that I hit. But now take that and say, that's a mountain that cannot be climbed. There is no top. And once you realize there's no top to the mountain, it's one thing I like about real estate is you just keep going higher and higher. So that's where the, does another hundred million dollars make me happier? Not necessarily, but I like the air up there a little, probably a little better because it's it's a challenge that's worth going for. Now, could could my focus shift at some point and I see like there's another mountain that joined this mountain and now I'm going to climb that one higher. Of course, like now it might be like, you know what? I really want to sell carpet. Now I don't think that'll happen because I'm passionate about real estate. But if I was like, hey, now this market, now I can make a carpet business grow to the, you know, to the next level. I can build that one. That's what's great about entrepreneurship is there is no top to the mountain. And when it comes to money, there's no top. And so I have fun. I have fun building it and climbing. It's interesting as I hear you talk, I think about some of the differences between you and I. And let me explain. Yeah, please. I have been an achievement junkie my whole life. But as I've gotten older, I've realized it isn't serving me anymore. Mm -hmm. And so here's the thing. 
I can create happiness by doing exactly what you're doing, which is create a series of climbs, yep. getting to the top and finding that you're actually, again, starting on a new climb. One thing I found, though, is that ultimately that didn't feel very peaceful. And mm-hmm. I've been thinking a lot about the difference between happiness, freedom, and peace. And the part that I was missing with a lot of these climbs is the most enjoyable were the ones where I could be happiest in the process, regardless of the goal. Like, yes, it's wonderful to make some incremental gain, right? We want to move forward, but that was my sense of peace. Tell me, does this feel peaceful to you? You know, it, it does for the most part, it does. Now the last month where I've said like, it's been tons of fun and I've been in the trenches. Like I would not want to continue that for long. I'm a big believer in what I call like margin, right? Adding mark, like margin, think of a book, right? There's yeah. margin on the ends and there's margin in between the paragraphs. There's margin in between the letters and the words, right? This mark, this space. And so I'm a big believer in that. And I think the secret to, for me anyway, to being at peace in the process is by adding enough margin. And when I find myself not enjoying the process, it's almost always because I don't have the margin there. So what I mean by that is little things like I, I'm, I, I read this book. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. I'm a big fan of this book. And uh, it's written by a Christian pastor out of like Portland. And he just goes into like all the like all the hurry we're in all the time in life and gives some anecdotes to it. Like some like and the solutions are basically add margin. So one of them is like having that time in the morning where I can just sit with coffee and read. Like if I don't get that half hour margin in my morning, my morning is not, my day is not as peaceful. Adding the the Sabbath, the idea of like the Jewish Sabbath, but re kind of reinterpreting or reinventing it for like a, so Friday night, we, my, my kids and I, every Friday night, at least when we try to do this every Friday night, we look for the third star. So I found this out like Jewish culture, the third star that comes out, that's the start of Sabbath, which is a super cool tradition to sit with my kids. Every Friday night, we go outside and when, when it starts getting darker and darker and darker, and we're all just, it's a game. Look for the stars. And there's the first, and they're probably planets usually, or they they show up first, but people don't. I mean, I didn't even realize this. I'm 35, 36 years old before I even realized stars come out one by one. I never even thought about it because I never took time to watch. So now we're watching the stars come out one by one. And there's the first one, there's the second one. Boom, third one hits, phones off, no work, just whatever brings me joy. That's what we're going to do for the next 24 hours. And, and then that Sabbath day ends when you see that third star. So again, Saturday night, we go outside and usually there's big meals involved. Friday night, we'll eat a big meal together as a family, maybe open a bottle of wine, have good friends come over and stay up till midnight talking on the front, like on the front porch, just joy bringing margin. When I have these things, and then of course, there's like the week, the, the bigger margins, the vacations. I took a four month trip with my family around the country this year. Those things, when added into a climb, that's where I find peace. We are talking to Brandon Turner. He is a real estate investor, podcaster, author, entrepreneur, and speaker. And we are talking about enough, in this case, how it deals with real estate as well as achievements in general. We are going to take a short break. I am Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. 
And some nights, we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave, and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is... There's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer-focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey, everybody. As you are listening to this episode, I am at the Chautauqua Conference in Bogota, Colombia with my friends J.L. Collins, Christy and Bryce from Millennial Revolution, and Katie and Alan Donegan. I also will be doing a book launch party October 6th in San Diego. I'll be attending the Camp Fi San Diego or Camp Fi Southwest. That's going to be in Julian, San Diego starting October 7th, but the day before October 6th, we're going to do a book launch party. More details will be forthcoming. I hope you're enjoying this episode with Brandon Turner. Now back to the show. Let me reintroduce you. We are talking to Brandon Turner. He is the author of the book on rental property investing, as well as several other best-selling books. He is also the managing member of Open Door Capital LLC, a private, well-capitalized real estate investment firm. Brandon, 
I've heard you give other interviews before, and you've talked about three phases of financial freedom. Yet today, yeah. as we talked, it sounds like there is a new phase or a new awareness in your life. Tell us about phase four and how it came about. Yeah, man. So it really comes down to that, like, I'm going to call it the Tebow effect, right? We're like listening to that, the, listening to Tim Tebow in that room just made me realize how at the end of, I mean, whether somebody listening to this is spiritual or not, whether you think there's a heaven and hell or nothing or, or some other thing, like most of every single thing we do, I think we can all agree is fairly worthless, right? Like it just doesn't matter in the long scheme of things, right? Most things in life. So really phase four, and I think a lot of people don't get to this phase of their life. Like people get to this phase until the very end of their life. And this would be something fascinating to talk to you about, like, you know, as a hospice guy, right? Like this is when people sit down and reflect on their life of like, what can I do to make an impact and significance and all that? Here I am at 36. Can I, can I, can I get into there now? And I think I can. And this goes back to like all the wealth that I have. Is that making me happy or no? But it might make phase four significantly bigger because now I've built up the skill sets, the reputation and all that. So I'll give you an example of one thing I'm thinking through a lot of. I mean, one, I don't, I, and this has been a long time coming. I've thought of this, but I've always said, I don't want to give my kids my wealth. Like if open door capital goes the way I think it is, and we're going to buy, here's the, here's the numbers, the raw numbers. We're going to buy $10 billion of real estate over the next decade. That might sound like a lot, but we're almost at a billion already. So like in, in the last couple of years, and that'll probably scale up as we, as we get more and more into this. So we're going to buy $10 billion of real estate. We'll turn that into $15 billion of real estate over the, the next five to 10 years, right? Real estate goes up on average, you know, three, four, 5% every year. You buy in good areas, hopefully more. And then you also, we do a lot of value add. So we immediately bump the rents because we remodel stuff and whatever else. So it's very normal to take a property that's a million, sell it for a million and a half. Like that's fairly normal. Maybe if you want to go slightly less than that, that's fine. And then you are going to pay mortgages off, right? Over time, you hold properties for 10 years. You're going to pay off a chunk of that mortgage. So instead of 10, 10 billion, we only owe 9 billion left to investors in the bank. So here we're left with $6 billion of value created. My investors are going to take two thirds of that. Like, you know, probably 70% of it, give or take my team. Like I split equity with a lot of my team members and, and, and partners and such. So they'll probably get another half, a little bit more. What does that mean? It means I might end with a billion dollars. Like that's crazy to say out loud. At five to 10 hours of work every week, I might end up a billionaire. I might not, but I think there it would it would take a dramatic downturn in my trajectory to not hit that. Even if it didn't take me 10 years, it might take me 20 years or even 30 years, right? Or 40 years, right? I'd still only be in my 70s and 40 years from now. So it, it, I'll be shocked if I'm not a billionaire someday. I don't want to give my kids that kind of wealth. Like, like one, they're not going to need it. I'm training my kids every single day on financial independence. Like they're, if, if they don't have the skill set to build wealth by the time they're 18, they don't deserve it. Right. And if they do have it, they don't need it. So I've always assumed I was going to give it all away at the end of my life. I'm going to give away all of it at the end of my life, or at least majority of it. Where phase four has got me thinking. And part of that comes from a book I just read called the treasure principle by Randy Elkhorn. And he, he really challenges readers to not wait till the end of their life to give. He, he says like, like, yes, mathematically speaking, you might have more at the end to give if you give them then. But this is not about just math. This is about the heart and it's about the impact you can make in the meantime. And so now I'm thinking, okay, well, what if this is an end of life thing? What if I built something mm-hmm. that, that what if I build something either new or what if, let me give you a real, a tangible example here. This I'm something I'm, I'm super excited about. What if we buy, I mean, let's go back to the example earlier. I'm buying a $90 million property right now. It's actually two properties, but $90 million. 
we're going to make that worth about our projections five years from now is like $130 million value. We're going to pay off about 10 million of that. So we'll probably owe 80 million. It's worth 130. That's $50 million of value. We just created out of thin air. It's it's incredible. Who on this planet can create 50 millions of dollars of net worth of, of value? Now we give it to our investors, right? Investors get most of it. I'll get a little bit. Everyone gets their piece of the pie and everyone's happy. And you know, it's just, this is this is what syndicators do. This is what real estate people do all day long. It's very normal. But who else in the world can create $50 million of value with a few hours of work at that level of certainty? No one. Like, yes, I, I mean, I'm, business can, can grow to that level, I'm sure, but it's one in a hundred, one in a thousand that can go to that level. I'm talking about like 98% certainty, we're going to create $50 million. So here's what I'm thinking now. I'm like, well, shoot, what if I go to people and raise that money? So to buy $90 million property, we got to raise $30 million. What if I go raise that $30 million? But the promise at the end of the investment is you get your money back and nothing else. You don't get a return. You don't get that $50 million. That $50 million is going to kids over in Africa or the kids in India or the homeless problem in San Francisco, right? We identify the need. We raise the money. They get their money back at the end. There's no invest. Like they're not losing money. They're not even donating money. What they're donating is their profit in the future, which there's some really neat tax stuff. So now you give me a hundred grand five years from now, I give you your hundred grand back. You also get a $300,000 tax credit because you just donated your profits to charity. And we just went and took that, all that money and improved a bunch of lives. I mean, like thousands of lives. So I'm like, you can tell right in my voice, this fires me up. This is phase four is how do we do it now? and uh, make it sustainable. It's like the idea I guess you could kind of sum up is like, I want to create a capitalism fueled charity, like use the stuff that we know through capitalism and through making money and then make that money matter. And that's what, that was, that's what fired me up. That's what phase four is all about. Should phase four have come earlier? Did you wait too long? And, and, and I'll throw it, I'll I'll make, I'll, I'll even make this a different question. Yeah. Many of us out here, many of us listening right now are not going to make $50 million. We're not going to make 30 million. We may never even make a million. Can we be in phase four? Yes. A hundred percent for sure. You know, it's like the phase four is a mindset, right? It's, it's a mindset that says, I don't need more. They need more, right? Like I don't need more. They need more. And anybody can do that. And so should it have come earlier? You know, to a degree, I've always been kind of like, I'm like a tither, right? Like I generally will give around 10% of my income every year away to charity. And I actually have like like a belief, maybe it's true, maybe it's not, maybe it's whatever. But I have a belief that the day that I say no to my heart saying give is the day that God shuts this tap off. I've been very lucky and blessed the last 10 years. I believe the day that I shift my mentality and, and, and constrain, like if I have, if my heart says to give to something and I say, ah, but I don't want to, that's the day that this gravy train ends. And so I've always been a, a giver anyway, but it's probably yeah 10%, right? And I think that's good enough for most people. There's nothing wrong with that. But I would challenge people. You can start thinking like, how can I do more? What opportunities are there? But again, that I'm able to do that because I have the financial freedom that I got in phase one, two, and three, because I have the wealth and the connections and the networking and the more than almost anything is a skill set. I have the skill set to make $50 million. That didn't come overnight. That took from that took 15 years of being a real estate investor to be able to do that. So I don't think it should have come earlier, but I think it's a constant question is, am I operating the way that I should be operating, like for the world, for the benefit of other people? And that's where, uh, that's where I'd point that, I guess. I want to pivot to a question that may or may not be connected. I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. 
let's talk about Josh Dorkin. Like, yeah. tell me how him leaving bigger pockets affected you. Is it at all affected how you've come to this path where you are today? Mm, good question. Yeah. So Josh, for those who don't know, Josh started Bigger Pockets in his basement back tw- almost 20 years ago now, maybe 15 years ago. It was actually started as a website to help actors make more money. And then that didn't go anywhere. So he pivoted and made it. <laughs> oh, interesting. So, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So Bigger Pockets was about actors making more money because he was an actor in Hollywood or tried to be. So Josh's daughter got had a surgery and there was complications and he lost his daughter got real sick and ended up getting paralyzed and it was a it was a whole thing and it was like it was all of a sudden I mean I remember the day like Josh just called me and was like just crying on the phone and like Mm -hmm. it it I mean I I choke up just talking about it it was a traumatic day for him and watching him walk through that and seeing that like he was a very workaholic before that uh, and that moment he I mean in a on a dime, he shifted, he changed. And he is the opposite of a workaholic now. He spends every day with his family. And it, it is an inspiration to see, to see that. So yeah, to that, to, to that degree, it's a good reminder that nothing's guaranteed. Now, the, now his daughter's fine today. She recovered. She ended up getting her the right. use of her limbs back and like she's no longer paralyzed and she's thriving. But Josh ha- Josh got a wake-up call. And I'm a big believer in we don't all need wake up calls. We can learn from other people's wake up calls, right? So that's the impact that that had on me is is I became much more focused on on my kids and really spending the time with them and at and making sure the margin is there. Work is good. I could not not work. I don't I don't think many of us could not work and just sit around and watch Law and Order, right? Like we've got to keep busy with something. And but the answer between overindulgence of work and sloth or you know just laziness. I think is margin. So my kids see me in the morning, every single morning, we, we sit and read together in the morning. We, I go to work, I come home. We play just before this call, I was on there on the bed, like tickling them and rolling around for like 30 minutes. It was great margin. And then I went back out to work again. So now they get to see that I'm working and I have those margins in my life. Yeah. Josh made a big impact on me in that way. And Josh made a very specific decision to leave bigger pockets. A few years later, you made the decision to leave the podcast. Talk about your sense of identity. I mean, that's a very mm. public space you were in yeah. and you decided to leave it. How did that affect your sense of identity? Yeah, that's such a that's such a great point is I I, I guess I, when I was there, I was very much me and Bigger Pockets were so the same. In fact, most people in the world don't even know that I didn't start the company because I'm so ingrained in Bigger Pockets and I was. I didn't even miss a podcast episode. I think I missed one ever in like nine years of the podcast up until the last few months. Because like I have to be on there. That's my identity. I'm Brandon from the podcast. Like, mm-hmm. and I had a hard time seeing where I ended and bigger pockets started. And it was a very, we were very, very, very close. Now, one, that's very terrible for a business that wants to scale and eventually someday, you know, like maybe go public or become what it's just b- always bad for a business to have one guy that's so like the identity in the company are one. It's just dangerous. It's hard to ever sell that kind of asset. But on the other side, too, is like I I was so integrated with it. I couldn't leave for a long time, even though like open door capital was doing well. And I knew I could, I knew that's where I should be. And I should have my focus. I just couldn't do it because I I couldn't leave the podcast. And it wasn't until my, that same performance coach I mentioned earlier, he asked me uh, if I needed a break, like a month long break. He basically said like, you're stressed out. You're working a lot of hours right now. Like, do you need a break? And my, I bristled at the thought. I can't go a (laughs) month without the pod. I mean, sure. I can take a break. Yeah. I'll take a whole month Mm -hmm. off. I'll just do the podcast and the webinars. And I'll probably just do a couple meetings each week, right? Because I have to, that's my identity. And it it wasn't until I finally agreed, I said, I'm going to take a month off 
And you know what happened? That interconnected two cloths tore just an Hmm. inch, just an inch, Hmm. just enough that they were no longer one. They were an inch apart. And within 24 hours, I'd made up my mind to leave entirely. That's what I needed. I didn't, I couldn't go from Brandon and bigger pockets being one to I'm a hundred percent on my own entrepreneur building this real estate thing by myself or, you know, like independent of anybody. Like I had to make the little break before I could make, before I could have the freedom in my head to break the rest of the way, if that makes sense. And so I think people that, because I always thought it was kind of an all or nothing. And so people that are listening to this maybe are in the same spot right now. They're wondering how they can break away from something, whether it's their job or even like a bad relationship. And you think it's all or nothing. Maybe there's just a one inch break, a one inch tear you can do. So you can see yourself as separate from the identity you've given yourself. A personal question, which you by no means have to ask, but Tell me what your wife thought about that tear. Was there a sigh of relief or a cringe of worry? Yeah, there was a sigh of relief. She knew the strain that bigger pockets had on me. And again, that really came down to like, I am good at being a leader. I'm, I'm a good, I shouldn't even say that. I'm good at being a visionary. I can envision goals and plans and I can see the future of where we're headed. But at bigger pockets, that was not my role. Like I was not, it was not my company. Private equity owns it. Like they are the vision, right? So I'm in, I'm doing tasks, but I'm like, I was, so I was operating in a role that was not congruent with my identity of what I was good at and what I believed I should be doing. And my wife could see that. She could read it in my face all the time. Well, I like doing what I did there. I love the podcast. I love doing webinars, but I couldn't operate the way that I needed to operate there. And so when when I did tear away, she could see, like she knew that would be better for my soul. Like she just knew that'd be better. I mean, now there's some scary stuff, like a little less income. Can, I mean, the reason I'm able to raise hundreds of millions of dollars is because I was what I was at Bigger Pockets. In fact, here's a great way to look at this. And I, I, I've been saying this to myself for five, maybe six, seven years. Justin Timberlake and Sync versus let's call it Lance Bass. Right. So NSYNC was like the biggest boy band of like the early 2000s. Right. You know, bye, bye, bye. And it's going to be May and all that. Right. So Justin Timberlake was the lead singer and was the face of NSYNC. But it was a five guys in that group. And at one point he tore away. He separated. So the question is, and I've asked myself for years, am I Justin Timberlake where (laughs) I could go off and build something bigger? And I could sustain my own brand uh, away from NSYNC or away from bigger pockets. Or was I, I don't even know the other car- guys' names. I know Lance Bass. <laughs> what are the other three guys' names in NSYNC? I don't even know, <laughs> right? Am I that guy, right? Who, if he would have left, no one knows his name. And how many rock bands and, 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 and bands in general, not just rock bands, have had somebody leave to go to a solo act and then just disappear into obscurity? That what, was the biggest question for me. What will be enough for you to see yourself as Justin Timberlake and not Lance Bass? <laughs> I raised $75 million in the past four weeks. So I am decidedly, and this is nine months after leaving the podcast, I am decidedly now, I, I may not be Justin Timberlake in dancing or singing, but I know I can hold my own at this point. That was, that, that was a big fear. Is that what success feels like? I mean, you are now in your post bigger pockets life. Yeah. How would you define success and failure? All right. Define success and failure, man. You do have the good questions. <laughs> Just trying to torture yeah, you. I, I mean, from a, from a, I'll answer it this way from a phase two, like the internet marketing world, like 
am I still making an impact on people and helping people like, you know, become real estate investors? Can I still do that apart from BP? And social media has made that very easy, right? Like I've got 300,000 Instagram followers. I can put out a video and get 50,000, 100,000, 200,000 people to see it. So yes, that, so I feel successful in that. And then like, yeah, can I still raise the money I was raising at there? I can, I'm raising more than I was when it was at bigger pockets. So yeah, I mean, I just like, can I accomplish my goals outside of that role I was in before? And the answer was yes. So I guess I'd call that success. Tell me, what does being a good father look like? What do you what do you hope to impart in your kids? What do you hope that they learn from this journey you're on? Yeah, my my friend, I have a friend named Brian who's a he's a air conditioning repair guy, and he's got two amazing little kids. And he once told me this. He said, "I go into parent, you know, student or was it parent teacher conferences, and the teacher wants to go on. She starts explaining, you know." you know, boy, your boy's really good in this thing. He's really smart here. He's really good at this skill. And he says, he always has to hold up his hand and say, listen, I don't care at all how my kid is doing in school from an academic standpoint. He's like, I want to know one thing. How is his character, right? How is his character? And his kids' characters are, I mean, they're phenomenal character because that's the only thing that really matters is the character. So when I look at like ultimate success in life, like it really is, do my kids have the right character that I want to see in them? I could care less if they become air conditioning repairmen. I don't care. Like if they get into real estate, great. If they want to build financial freedom, great. If they want to work a installing carpet, but they've got the character, they've got that that side of their life figured out, like the spiritual side, like then I then I won. Like, I mean, then I did the job that I wanted to do. And to get there though, this is important, right? To get there, how do I do that as a father? What do I have to be? And one of those answers is present. Like I have to be present in order to be that father. I have to, I have to instruct them, discipline them. I have to, you know, show them. I have to demonstrate. I just show them. Right. My buddy Mike always says, "Most lessons are caught, not taught." When huh. it comes to kids, right? Most lessons are caught, not taught. I could tell them all day long what to do, but it's it's what dad does is that they're going to do, right? And that. That's what being a good father is, is making sure that I'm demonstrating the character that I want them to become. And so that means not being a workaholic. It means not valuing money above people. It means taking time to give and involving them in the giving. So yeah, that's uh, that's being a good father to me. Well, Brandon Turner, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. I'm going to end with a quote of yours from one of your podcasts. You say, nobody who can retire will retire. The point is that we're going to work our whole lives, but the question is what kind of work we're going to do and what purpose that work is going to fulfill. We don't live for money. And at some point, if we're lucky enough, we don't have to work for money. But clearly from your story, the money that you happen to make while you're working can make a huge difference, not only in your life, but in the lives of the people around you and maybe in the lives of people in general. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life. And specifically, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they? So first and foremost, what is coming up next for Brandon Turner? Yeah, next for me. So I will eventually in the next probably six months, I'll probably start a new podcast. I miss it. I like doing it. It was a good to have a year off. I said it was like a sabbatical year for me. Ironically, we you know tripled the size of our real estate portfolio in my sabbatical year. So it was a sabbatical from the internet marketing game. In the business world, it wasn't a sabbatical from real estate, but uh, 
So that will end at some point and I will get back into the world of podcasting YouTube. I don't know if it'll be about real estate though. I mean, like I have more, I enjoyed this conversation more than I ever enjoyed just how to buy duplex conversations, right? Like this is, this is fun. And so I think that it's going to tie much closer in with phase four of my life. And I'm going to spend the next four months figuring out what that looks like. Yeah. If they want to get in touch with me, Beardy Brandon, like Beard Y Brandon, Beardy Brandon on Instagram, TikTok, all that good stuff. Beardybrandon.com is like my personal website. And then ODC Fund, odcfund.com is my the website for uh, my real estate. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Brandon Turner. That's a wrap. Thank you, by the way. That was awesome. Awesome. I continue the recording just for a few minutes as we chat sure. afterwards. Sure. Um, I, I know that this was not your typical interview, but I just okay. felt like from knowing your story vaguely from talking to some of your friends, because I happened to be at an event with um, Scott Trench and Mindy Jensen this weekend. Uh, oh, nice. Um, but also just from my interest, too, I thought that there was a lot of good meat there to talk about some other things, because I yeah. just feel like you're in this really interesting place in your life where again you're cleaving some things yeah and then yet going after some other and and the role that money in real estate and you know i had this problem with medicine too medicine is the thing in life i'm best at yeah and yet it wasn't making me happy but real estate and maybe there are other things like you're good at being a leader going after deals like that's what you're best at but what's kind of cool is it sounds like you found a way for that to really nurture you and carry you, which is something I couldn't do with medicine. Maybe once I found hospice, I was closer. Yeah, I feel like you're kind of there with hospice. But what I'm going to probably build next year, again, it's it's all still a little bit vague. I'm still working through it. But man, I got some vision this week. That I just like, like, I feel like I know now kind of what it's going to be. Essentially this. I went into that, I went into that event with those people uh, mm-hmm. on that mountaintop. With the idea of I'm going to meet a bunch of really smart, expensive, you know, smart, rich people, and I'm going to learn how to build. I'm going to build the connections needed, some of them to build a massive brand next year. And I'm going to come out strong and I'm going to build a podcast, YouTube. Maybe it won't be real estate related, but, you know, something, right? Something, an idea. Yeah. Something. And I'm going to make a ton of money and I really want a private jet someday and I really want this and I'm going to I'm going to be the man when it comes to all that. I'm going to just I'm going to come out swinging and it's going to be amazing. I went in there with that kind of philosophy. And I was talking to a buddy there and I said to him, yeah, you know, I don't need that. I don't need the money. I mean, I make plenty of money from book sales. I make the money. It's, and it was like, well, why do you want to build it? And it was really like, well, because it's, I'm good at it. I like that stuff. I love it. Right. Like you said, medicine. And, and he's like, well, why not give away a bigger, like, why not give away some money then donate, donate 10% of profits to charity. And I was like, oh, I probably will I'll do 10% to charity. That'll be fine. That's a cool number. That's a tithing number. And then I said, yeah, you know, someday it'd be cool even to like get to the point where I could spend, you know, give 50% away to charity. And he was like, yeah, man, that would be great. But why someday? And he challenged yeah. me. He goes, why yeah. not start day one, 50%? Yeah. And, and I was actually, like, Bob yeah. and Linda Lodick would say the yeah. same exact thing, right? They they're, would. They're much more like, you know, set the goal. And for them, it's God. So they yes. hear from God in their own yep. way. God tells me that this is the path I should go. Yes. And we'll figure out the details. And that's exactly it. And our minds After. do that, right? But then uh-huh. it goes even deeper. And this was interesting. I then listened to Tim Tebow talk. Uh-huh. And I hear his thing about like, I don't want to enter heaven, like, you know, like well rested. 
and he's talking about running and, and, and he said this, he's like, you may feel like you have time and maybe you do, but they don't. And that was like, that hit me. Right. Like he's like, mm. he's like every day, every day, millions of people die of starvation. Every day people are getting trafficked every day. They're getting murdered and, and homelessness. He's like, you might have time to relax, but they don't have time for you to relax. And I'm like, Oh, right. So like, and again, I'm, I'm not qu quite like, the charismatic Christian who says God told me, right, right? But I, like, not audibly heard, but was so impressed upon during that conversation that I'm not supposed to give fifty percent of that business away. I'm supposed to give a hundred percent of that business away. And so, what I think I'm going to launch next year is going to be the largest, like, you know, real estate or maybe just business entrepreneurship, like a platform. But from day one, I don't take it. Like, it's not mine. From day one, mm -hmm. all of it goes to charity, which actually opens up some, the more I thought about it, the more I realized it's actually fairly selfish as well, because now all of a sudden when I want to have Chip and Joanna gain on the podcast was they don't do anybody's podcast, right? Yeah. Hey, yeah. we're going to donate a million dollars to your charity. Come on yeah. my podcast. Yeah, for sure. All of a sudden, totally. now all of a sudden, and who's not going to help me, right? I go to Ed Milet. I go to Tony Robbins. I go to anybody and I'm like, Hey, yeah. we're building the large, I go to the, who's the best internet marketer for Facebook ads in the world. I go to them and I'm like, Hey, yeah. We're going to rescue 8,000 women from sex slaves. Like, help me figure out the Facebook ad piece. Who's going to turn me down? Yeah. So, and then when people want to invest their capital, where are they going to go with it? The guy that they already trust because he's running that big, that big monster of a business. So that's, yeah. that's the vision. All of a sudden, like, it's just like, or the last few weeks, I mean, for a few days. And I'm like, the more I say it, the more I'm like, that's what I'm meant to yeah. do. Like, this is phase four. My, so in my lens, so looking at you as yeah, you're please. describing this in my lens, I think the the most the most ideal expression of ourselves and happiness is living a life of purpose, identity, and connections. I talk about this a lot in my book, right? Yeah. Purpose, identity, and connections. It seems like for you, building things is a huge part of your purpose and identity. Yeah. I, it's funny because when you talk numbers, I almost my ears shut because the numbers really don't matter. They don't matter. They don't. I mean, you again, I, I apologize for being exceedingly blunt. No, you please. have enough money. You're never, ever, ever going to spend the money you already have. Yeah. My guess. Yeah. The but your purpose is filled by doing this thing. And I think that the numbers you create are going to just be a side effect. Yeah. I think. Why not? Like, why not take the purpose and identity of building businesses, building yeah. things, getting people on board, being that leader, not that manager, but being that leader yeah. is your highest expression of happiness. And I think it's going to create, in this case, something beautiful, which is hopefully millions of dollars to go to people who need it. Yeah, I, that, I think so that's, too. That's what I sounds like to me as I listen to your story is like, this is, this is who you are. I think you can make your life slightly easier by sometimes letting go of the numbers only because yeah. you just want to make sure it's again, and this is my interpretation. So this may be totally my lens and not yours. Yeah. So take it with a grain of salt. Um, you just want to make sure it remains peaceful. Yeah. That doesn't mean not hardworking. That doesn't mean yeah. not like excited, anxious, even those kinds of things, but there's, there's gotta be that deep inner peace. Yeah. Um, how many nonprofit people burn out? Like oh how many God, pastors, yeah. how many, how many rabbis, well, how many it's like hard because hard. we, we are programmed to get on mm -hmm. what I call the achievement treadmill. We are yeah. programmed yeah. to run harder for the sake of running harder. Yeah. You're in this unique place where you could get off that achievement treadmill. That doesn't mean you stop achieving, but mm -hmm. 
but you're not yeah. running harder to just run harder anymore. You're not doing it for that super egotistical. I need to do more because it's going to make me feel better about myself. Yeah. Building the businesses will undoubtedly do that because that's like your purpose. That's your identity. Yeah. You're probably going to still end up giving tons and tons and tons, but there's got like, I think the piece comes with the separation of ego, which is so hard for achievers. Yeah. It really or at is. least it's hard for me. Like, yeah, that's it's very true. hard for me. Um, I think you're going to do great yeah. things, man. <laughs> Thanks, man. It sounds yeah, you know, good. I mentioned it earlier in the, in the show briefly, but we never really covered it, but that's all right. It was this idea of like it, the way that I've gotten more peace in business, more margin in business was by going bigger. This is something I didn't realize when I was younger. Like I was assumed if you have a hundred, if I have 10 units and then I buy a hundred units, that is 10 times more work. But in reality, it was actually 10 times less work. Buying a $90 million property is easier than buying a duplex for me. It's less work, less involvement, right? But if, and it's all built on that caveat of if you have the right leadership skills to make it all work, because it's harder from a leadership standpoint, because I'm not doing anything myself. And so that's what the skill I've been trying to build in myself the last few years is this leadership skill, because then I can get both. I can build and be an achiever keep the margin, keep the peace. And if I can do that, that's the magic piece to me and magic piece uh, that makes that work. And so as I build the next thing, phase four, I'm trying to keep that in mind, that who not how mentality. I I kept on wanting to say, but it never came up right at the right time. But leadership is hearts and minds. Management is tactics. And you are all the hearts and minds. And you can always hire someone for the tactics. You can always hire someone for the tactics. It's much harder to get someone who knows how to work with the hearts and minds. And um, again, I think that goes back to your purpose. And that's why you're a builder, right? Like, that's kind of who you are. Ah, It's very cool. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambie Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. <laughs> 